we know that there are five books of Moses, but are all these books five books of Moses? How many of five books of Moses are actually of Moses? Out of five books of Moses, only one of them is of Moses. The five books are Bereshit, which is Genesis, Shemot, which is Exodus, Vaikra, which is Leviticus, Bamidbar, which is Numbers, and, and Deuteronomy, which is Dvorim. So Deuteronomy is called in English Deuteronomy because Deu, it's a repetition. So the entire book of Deuteronomy is the speech that Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, gave before his passing. So in other words, out of five books of Moses, only one is really of Moses because this is what Moses is telling the Jewish nation. And Moses is talking about himself. And he says, I, and when God speaks to him, in this book, he says, God spoke to me. In the rest of the Torah, in the four books prior, whenever it says I, it means God. God is saying I. And God spoke about Moshe in a third person. Says, and I spoke to Moses. So, in other words, the book of Bamidbar, the fourth book, is really completing the part that God directly told to Moshe. To Moses. So we have four books that God said and one book that Moshe said. So now if you are thinking about regression of godliness throughout the history and throughout the books of Torah, it is pretty clear that first four books are given directly by God and dictated, said word for word by God. The fifth book is the book that Moshe, Moses, is saying from himself. It's still given by God because he is a prophet and it says, which means God is speaking through his mouth. So he is God's mouthpiece. It is still obviously holy, godly text, but it is coming via Moshe, via a person. Then afterwards, we have the books of prophets, and they are already somewhat similar to the last of five books of Moses, because God is speaking through prophets. They are God's mouthpiece, but it's not something that we hear from God directly. So in this sense, the fifth book of Chumash, or five books of Moses, is somewhat a, of a bridge between the first four and the books of prophets. And then we have the books of scriptures, Ketuvim, and they are even more removed from, uh, from the original source because what's written there is not given over by prophets. So it's a lower level of godliness expressed in the book. And this concludes the written Torah, which is obviously more of godly text than oral Torah. And from there, starts oral Torah with Mishnah, and Mishnah has the highest level of godliness expressed in it, and then goes Talmud, and as opposed to Mishnah, Talmud is already written in Aramaic, it's not even written in Holy Tongue, and then you have all the subsequent books which are written after Talmud of uh, Rishonim, Achronim, Gaonim, and so on. So we see a regression of godliness throughout all the books, which is consistent with what we call Yeridat Hadorot, downfall of generations. 
throughout our history. Our highest, most spiritual point was when the Torah was given. And then from there, it just goes down the hill. And this is also why in the written Torah, we pay attention to every word, every letter, every dot, every little detail. Because in written Torah, everything is precise. In oral Torah, we will never find a uh, Talmudic question, why is Mishnah using this and this grammatical form as opposed to that grammatical form? In Mishnah, we pay attention to words, but not to the details of the words. In Talmud, we are not paying attention to the words as well, because Talmud is written in Aramaic, which is not a holy language. So in Talmud, the question is only about the content, the idea which is transmitted. The ideas which are written in Talmud are obviously holy and obviously godly, every single one of them. But the exact wording is not given over by God. It's only the ideas which are expressed there. And from there, like you understand, it is only going down the hill. So now we understand that the book of Bemidbar, book of Numbers, is sort of the last one of the four books which are given to us directly by God. Because the fifth one, last one, is already what Moshe is saying from himself. The last book, the fifth book, Devarim, the last book of the Torah, which is Devarim, is one long speech that Moshe gave. And it lasted 37 days. So you can imagine that when you complain that rabbis are speaking for too long in synagogues, this is nothing. You should have been there. <laughs> so nobody complained that I speak for too long. So the fourth book, the book of Numbers, Bemidbar, is the last book that we heard directly from God, that Moshe heard directly from God, that humans heard directly from God. Now it is understood why it is called Numbers in English. Why it's called Numbers in English? In English, it's called Numbers because Jews are counted numerous times throughout this book. And this idea that Jews are counted, it, it seems to be a little strange. Why does God need to count us over and over and over in this way and that way and then again and then again? Uh, God should be uh, good at math and he should be uh, knowing how many of us there anyway. So why does he need to count us? God knows how many of us there. Incidentally, I will just tell you that there was it's a known story that once people asked the Alter Rebbe how many times Abaya and Rova, who are two probably most often cited rabbis in Talmud, how many times Abaya and Rova argue. So Alter Rebbe said the number and it was correct. A different time, they asked a different famous rabbi the same question. He counted it in, in his head, added, added up some numbers, and he said the answer. And the answer was also correct. So people who were there said, do you know what was the difference? The, the difference is that he had to count. So God doesn't need to count. God knows. God is almost as good as the Alter Rebbe. God knows. Why does he need to count us? The counting is not because God needs to know the number but because God is showing us and showing himself and expressing how much he values us. If you 
have something that you cherish, you are going to count it over and over again. If you have uh, a large stack of $100 bills, you will know how much there is because you just got them fresh and crisp from the bank. But you will count them over. Why? Because it's important to you. Why? Uh, you'll still count them over. If you have something which you treasure a lot, whatever you like, any collectibles, every once in a while, you will count them over. Why? Because not because you are concerned that somebody stole uh, them from the last time you, you counted them. They were sitting in the safe and uh, you are the only one who knows the, the combination or it's a fingerprint safe. So you're not concerned that, that uh, some of them disappeared. This is your expression of how dear the, uh, this, whatever you're counting, is to you. So God is counting Jews because he is expressing how much he values us. And then there's another thing that is very important. Another reason why God is counting us. God is showing us how valuable each individual is. For God, we are not just a group of people. You see, if you are told that in biology, we can understand why nature needs mosquitoes, okay? We are very annoyed at mosquitoes. They bite us. But if you'll ask a biologist or a zoologist, they will tell you what benefit they, they actually have and what's going to happen if all mosquitoes are going to be gone. That is a good explanation, and I will accept it. But in order to have this true, whatever this explanation is, do we need to have a precise number of mosquitoes? No, we just need to have generally mosquitoes. One more, one less. Nobody cares. That's why next, uh, next time when I'll see mosquitoes sitting on my, on, my, on my arm, I'll kill it. And somebody will ask me, but didn't you just hear that mosquitoes are needed for our environment? I'll say, yeah, mosquitoes in plural are needed. But this particular one is not. And this particular one is actually sucking my blood right now. So you could have thought that Jews are important to God, just like mosquitoes. They're needed for ecosystem. Our ecosystem requires to have some Jews. And because God is counting us, he's showing a completely different story. We are not counting mosquitoes. No zoologist in the world, no matter how much he understands the importance of mosquitoes in this, in this ecosystem, is sitting and counting them. But God is counting us to tell us how important each one of us is. But then there is another level of reasoning for this count, for this, for this counting over and over again. In the Torah law, they have different laws. In halakha, there are different laws pertaining to something being lost, being dissolved in something else. It's called bitul in Hebrew. Imagine an apple which is not kosher. You living in America thinking, how can an apple be not kosher? You, I go to any food store and I buy apple. Well, this is true in America. But in Israel, when laws of Shemitah have to be observed, uh, and laws and first three years, you're not allowed to have fruit uh, from a tree that just started growing. So now imagine there is a non-kosher apple which you brought from Israel, you were on the plane from Israel, and you flew here. Well, you're not allowed to take fruit with you on the plane. But let's say uh, the, the, the dogs, the sniffing dogs at, uh, at, at the customs were not able to pick it up for some reason. So you were given an apple on your flight from Israel. And as you are already on your plane, somebody calls you, don't, don't eat this apple, I just realized it's from, it's from Shemitah. Don't eat it. You're like, okay, I didn't need it yet. It's just sitting there in my suitcase. You come to America 
and you open up your suitcase and you take everything out and your wife is helping you unpack and she takes this apple and she puts it into your drawer with a million other apples. So now you are coming to the kitchen and you're like, oh, what happened to that apple that we brought from Israel? Right. And she's like, well, it's there with the rest of our apples. And you're like, uh-oh, this apple is not kosher. And the apples that we have at home are kosher. So now my question is, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to throw out all of my apples? And I have a lot of apples there. I have a huge box full of apples. And they all look the same. The apple you brought from Israel is green, and these are green apples also. You can't tell. So what are you supposed to do? So this is the law. If something is bought and referred to by weight or volume, then it can be considered to be dissolved in others. And here, the law, the law of bitul applies as well. But if something is bought and referred to by item, then it'll never be dissolved. If I'm buying blueberries, cherries, or, or grapes, yeah. they, they're going to be dissolved and nullified within their own kind yeah. if it's not kosher. But if I buy uh, watermelons or, or pineapples, it's going to be a different story. So whatever is counted is not nullified and is not dissolved. So now we understand why Jews is counting us. Because God knew full well that time will come when we will be dispersed amongst other nations. And God knew that one day we will be even unrecognizable, indistinguishable from non-Jews, the way we look, the way we dress, the way we talk. So the question is, are we going to be nullified? Are we going to be diluted and dissolved in this non-Jewish environment? Are we going to be assimilated? And God, in the last book, which is given from him directly, God makes sure to count us over and over again, every, every which way, every person, every child, every this, every that. Because God wants to make sure that we will not be assimilated, dissolved, diluted, no matter if it's going to be one in a sixty, one in a thousand, one in a million. This is why this book has so many times when Jews are, when Jews are counted. And this is the source for the English name of it, Numbers. But now comes a question. Why is it called Bamidbar in Hebrew? Bamidbar means in the desert. In the desert seems to be not such a good name for it. Numbers, more fitting of a name. Why is it called Bamidbar? It's called Bamidbar specifically because God is telling us, listen, guys, you are going into a spiritual desert. It is true that the Torah was given to us in a physical desert, and for 40 years, Jews were in a physical desert. But this physical desert, spiritually, was a very productive environment. It wasn't a spiritual desert. Jews were spending 40 years learning the Torah and being totally consumed by Torah life. What were they doing in the desert? Their food was provided for them. Their clothing was provided. There was no animals that, was that were attacking them. They had their, their vacation for 40 years. It's like, it's like better than Bahamas. So the answer is that they were actually working very hard. They were working in learning the Torah. They were studying the Torah. That's what they were consumed with, day and night. Now they're about to enter the land of Israel. 
because at the end of book Bamidbar, they, they already come to the border of the land of Israel. They're about to go in. The whole book of Dvarim, they are right before their entry point. So they're about to enter the land of Israel. The land of Israel is a, a place where there are cities and nations live there, and it's a populated area. And the rest of our history, we will be most of the time in populated areas. It is interesting to note that uh, West Virginia does not have a lot of Jews. Appalachian Mountains don't have a lot of Jews. But uh, New York, Chicago, L.A., Florida, this is where the Jews are. Jews don't like deserts. There's not many Jews in, the, in, in Montana. Uh, Jews are in densely populated areas. And by the way, this is uh, in Europe and this is in Israel also. We Jews like to be among uh, many others. But at the same time, it's going to be a desert. Spiritually, we are going into a desert. God is saying to go into this desert, you need to be counted, not to be dissolved there.